Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Second Chronicles chapter 31, verse 20. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart, and he prospered. Thank you, Jesus. If you turn to Second uh, Kings chapter 18, and we'll start in verse 5, and we're going to be flipping back and forth just a little bit between these two portions of Scripture. Second Kings chapter 18 and verse 5. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. You know, what we just read was a pretty high compliment. It spoke very highly of Hezekiah, but this even takes it up a, a little bit more, a, a notch higher, if you will. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah. After him nor among those who were before him. And you do realize, David came before him. There was something special about Hezekiah, apparently. That there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him, and... Wherever he went, he prospered. You may be seated. We're going to be flipping back and forth a little bit between these two portions of Scripture. Because what happens when you overlay uh, Scripture, and and this is true in the Gospels, uh, for instance, if you ever want to overlay the Gospels and what happened at the tomb uh, when Jesus resurrected from the dead. It's amazing the clarity. At first, if you were to read the different accounts, it almost sounds like that there's perhaps some confusion or very distinctly different stories. But when you overlay them, you start to see the complete story unravel. And so I, I love doing this, and it's, it's, I find tremendous value in it, um, just going a little bit deeper into the Word. And God will reveal things and show us things and teach us things and give us instructions. Uh, you know, it, I say it all the time, but it's true. This is a spiritual thing. This is a spiritual book, and we serve a spiritual God, right? God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And, and, and I believe when we're... When we're being led by the Spirit, grounded in the Word, we find truth, absolutely. And I believe absolutely that we need to be in agreement with the truth of God's Word and these these spiritual principles. Amen. So to, to, to set this up, let's just jump back just a little bit to 2 Chronicles chapter 28. And this is towards the end of the divided kingdom um, time frame in the Bible. This is right at the time of Hezekiah, is right when the northern tribes go away into captivity. And then there's a couple generations left in the the southern tribe, the uh, tribe of Judah. And so just to kind of set it up, and maybe we'll start with a little bit of teaching or just start a little bit slower. We'll see what God's going to do here. But in chapter 28, verses 1, we'll start with verse 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. Now Ahaz um, is Hezekiah's father. He was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. You got that benchmark David mentioned over and over again. 
But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom, Hinnom, and burned his sons as an offering, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. (laughs) Sometimes it's an easy thing for us to read a portion of Scripture and just be in utter disdain and awe at where Israel would find themselves, how far they would fall from going from a a God who was so apparent and, and led them day in and day out through a wilderness and out of captivity of Egypt and into a promised land and and it's amazing to read scripture and, and, and it'd be so easy to find fault and, and snub our noses at, at, at the Israelites as, you know, from one generation to another, they could go from serving God to not even knowing God. Um, and then God just has a way of reminding me and reminding us how, you know, we can be high on, on Sunday and we can be down in the molly groves on Monday. Uh, how difference a day can make. We can be high in faith in, you know, one week and the next week we have no idea what we're doing or why we're doing it. And, and that's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Um, there are seasons and, and we go through different seasons uh, for sure. And even in Hezekiah's life we'll see some seasons um, as this unfolds. But what's, what's interesting about Hezekiah is what he was handed and what he inherited, it, it was brutal. He, it, it was by the grace of God that he was even alive. He lost, he actually lost siblings to human sacrifice. His father was actually killing his own children. And, and this is God's chosen people. This is the king of Judah. And, and then you just see the pattern the result of it, the reaping of what they, what they sowed and what he sowed in verse 5. Therefore the Lord his God gave him into the hand of the king of Syria who defeated him and took captive a great number of his people and brought them to Damascus. He was also given, if, if that wasn't bad enough, he was also given into the hand of the king of Israel who struck him with great force. For Pekah, the son of Ramalia, killed 120,000 from Judah in one day. So one generation before Hezekiah, in one day they lost 120,000. And these were all men of valor. Why? Because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. I don't need to tell us this. We know this, that it, it never turns out well when we turn from God. And I'm thankful for scripture that we can read and we can see and, and in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, hopefully, God, help us that we don't have to learn the hard way, but that we can learn from these examples in your word. Verse 8, then the men of Israel took captive 200,000 of their relatives. This is from Judah. So Judah, just a generation before Hezekiah, has taken some heavy losses. They've lost some uh, 120,000 men of valor. The 200,000 captives were turned loose. But there's still heavy losses. Verse 18 says, at, the time, uh, at that time, King Ahaz sent to the king of Assyria for help. So as, as God is allowing some of the kings to come up against them and to strike them down and causing heavy loss because... They're not serving him, and the king is serving Baal and serving these other gods. And he reaches out to the king of Assyria for help. If we keep reading, verse 20, the king of Assyria came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. And I don't need to tell us, but, well, maybe I do need to say it. 
It's amazing how we will reach for so many things that are never going to help us. The one thing we need is Jesus. God is faithful. God is our healer. He is our provider. And if there's one thing I know, and if there's one thing we know here tonight, it's that there is this, there is this spiritual principle that is absolute called sowing and reaping. And if there's one thing I'm certain of, it's that when we come out of the world or we come out of sin or we come out of a season of sin, there's going to be some things that God's going to heal us from and deliver us from. But it's highly likely that there's going to be some fruit that we are still reaping from what we sowed. And since the idea of sowing and reaping is so prevalent in the word of God, it may just take a little bit of time and it may just take a little bit of effort of sowing some good seeds. And it may take a little bit of time before we start to see some results. The idea of sowing, it, it, you don't just reap the very next moment or the very next day. But if there's one thing we know, if we'll sow into the kingdom, if we will sow seeds of faith, if we will reach for Jesus, if we will continue to reach for God, he will continue to heal us. He will continue to sanctify us. He will continue to purify us. And it's a continual process. Amen. And if, it's not my saying, but it's, it's a saying that is absolutely true, and, and I love it. I use it quite often. If one thing is certain, it's that soul work is slow work. And that's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Where you're at right here today, whether you're on, in the highest of highs or you're just down in a low moment, it's all right. You're in the right place at the right time. Amen. So, reaching for the king of Assyria, it didn't work out well for them. Instead of helping him, the king afflicts him instead of strengthening him. Verse 21, for Ahaz took a portion from the house of the Lord and the house of the king and of the priests and gave tribute to the king of Assyria but it did not help him. And it never will. Newsflash, this is never going to change. We can reach for all the other helps that the world has to offer. It's not going to help. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all Israel. Now, what's interesting is if we continue to look at the lineage, just going back a little further into the history, Hezekiah's grandfather and his great-grandfather both did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But if we were to go back, matter of fact, let's just do it. Chapter 27, we see Jotham, his grandfather. And this is what the word tells us about him. In verse 2, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done, except he did not enter the temple of the Lord. Hmm. We can go back a little further into history and look at Uzziah. And the scripture tells us in verse 20, chapter 26 and verse 5, he set, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And so if you're anything like me, you just start to see a pattern. You've got the, the great-grandfather who... Well, when he would seek God, he prospered. And things are written for a reason. The reason why God would point out that, or that God would want us to know that when he would seek God, he would prosper, obviously, because when he didn't seek God, he would not prosper. So you have a man, a king, who sought God half-heartedly, maybe, and then you've got the next generation 
that never even felt it necessary to go into the temple. Now for me, these are some major issues of concern. Uh, We know that we will find God when we seek him and when we seek him with our whole heart. What we read of Hezekiah, somehow Hezekiah, even though his, his family tree had been, been uh, slipping away and then slowly fading away, somehow Hezekiah got into his heart and into his soul that if he would just reach for God with all of his heart and not turn away, things would turn out well for him and he would be blessed. And that's exactly what we see. But we can see the pattern how when, when the family didn't serve God with all their heart, the next generation, and we hear this all the time, what we do, how do we say it? What we do in moderation, our children will do in excess, right? And, and so you just see the patterns laid out so clearly. And then it gets to Ahaz who somehow gravitated to killing his own children to try and satisfy and appease false gods. What a waste. And so it's with this that Hezekiah, we come to Hezekiah. And so what Hezekiah's father had done, he, he, he actually stripped the temple and he emptied it out and he actually boarded it up. So when Hezekiah comes onto the scene, this is the first thing that we see Hezekiah start to address. And in chapter 29, Hezekiah, um, he, he, he cleanses the temple. And so once again, I'm not going to go into depth on this because we're going somewhere, but the first thing we see him do is cleanse the temple. What does the Bible tell us? What Know ye not that ye are the temple, right? We're the temple of God. And so you see that cleansing. You see the the the. the Parallel or the demonstration, the necessity of repentance and cleaning out the, the temple, the inside, the heart. And then the next thing we see in verse 20 of chapter 29, Hezekiah restores the temple worship. And so we start to see a pattern laid out. It starts with cleansing the temple and then worship. Cleansing and then worship. And then I'll point out the third thing that we'll see in chapter 30 is the Passover celebrated. And what I got to point out here is what does the Passover signify? What is, what is it to be remembered for? It was to remind Israel of the death angel passing over. It was to remind them of their deliverance from bondage and, and spiritual death, right? And so what I see here laid out in the pattern Hezekiah is laying out for us is that before we see the victory, praise came before it. And you know what? (laughs) We'll get there in a minute. Praise is always the answer. God is worthy of our praise before we experience the Passover. And there's power in praise. Amen. And so we see it laid out, his pattern is he cleanses the temple, he restores the temple worship, and then celebrates and reinstitutes the Passover. And then we read it. It's after all these things. I'll read it again. 31 and 20. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah... And he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God, and in accordance with the law and the commandments seeking his God, he did with, his, with all his heart, and he prospered. And then here you have it. The very next verse. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And can I just pause here just to say, Hezekiah did not do, he was doing everything right. And it may just be, even if you're doing everything right, It may just be that the adversary still rises up against you. 
and still tries to wreak havoc on your life, tries to distract you, tries to taunt you, tries to get you to, to be distracted by his lies. Hezekiah was doing everything right, and he still finds himself all of a sudden in a place of peril. This ever happened to you? <laughs> Almost every Sunday. <laughs> Everything's going right on Sunday. Oh, Monday. What happened? <laughs> what did I do wrong? Can you just hear me? You didn't do anything wrong. Someone needs to hear this. Sometimes you did everything right. And it may just be that it's bigger than you. It may just be that hmm, God may be trying to teach you, show you, grow you, expand you, stretch you. God may be trying to press into you a little bit. He may be trying to draw some things out of you. But it's not always because you did something wrong. That's not the way God works. I, I, I'm going to go a little further here. I haven't reached perfection yet. I, I, honestly, none of us have. God's still working on us. He's still got a work to do. And, and if we're honest, when he does that work, it doesn't always feel good. He starts to expose some things and draw some things out. And that's all right. That's all right. You, you, you realize God loves you enough <laughs> to want to increase you? He loves you enough and he trusts you enough to want to grow. He wants to grow you. God wants to, God wants to continue to open our eyes and reveal spiritual truths, truths of the word, truths of even the flesh and, and how all of this flows together and how it all affects the one affects the other. The two are at war, the one with the other, the flesh and the spirit, the new man, the old man. You know, God's wanting us to to be able to identify things, how can we identify them if he doesn't reveal them? And so it's not always a bad thing if we can just slow down, identify it, and, okay, God, what are you trying to show me here? What are you trying to teach me? Hezekiah, God, God was trying to show Hezekiah something here. It's in a good time. All of a sudden he finds himself being invaded by the king of Assyria. Now, you kind of got to overlay the two, the two books here because if we only drew from 2 Chronicles, we wouldn't see how Hezekiah actually tries to bribe the king of Assyria. So if you flip back to 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 13, in the 14th year of the king Hezekiah, the king of Assyria came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, the king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. It sounds like Hezekiah was blessed and everything was going really well. He's, he's cleaned out the temple. He's gone ahead and he's, he's refurbished the temple. He's, he's, uh, he's remodeled the temple. And God is blessing him. God is increasing him. And now all of a sudden he has to take all this increase and he tries to pay off the king of Assyria. And this is where I'm going to leave some questions out on the table. Because if Hezekiah was a man that trusted God so much, why didn't he trust God right here? And this doesn't work because it never works. 
making a deal with the adversary is never going to pay off. It never will. And as we continue to look at the story, it bought them a little bit of time at best. So what the king does, the king of Assyria, he ends up taking his three main generals and he sends them on a mission to taunt the king of Judah, Hezekiah. And as the story goes on, they show up and, and they're within speaking distance of the wall. Matter of fact, let's turn back to Second Chronicles. Thirty-two and verse nine. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were at in Jerusalem, saying, "Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria: On what are you trusting that you endured the siege? You know the." Hezekiah did not go out to meet them. He, he t- in turn, sends three of his mighty men, some of his dignitaries, to go out to receive this taunt, if you will. And at one point, they even say, hey, can, can, we, can we not talk in Hebrew? We can understand your language. Can you talk to us in your language so that the men on the wall don't hear, the, the soldiers don't hear? And the response of the Syrian king's men is, no, we're here so that all of them here can hear. We're, we're going to continue to speak in the Hebrew language. That was the only response to the three dignitaries that Hezekiah sent out there. That was the only request. But what's happening here is the king of Assyria has taken a bribe, and so he wasn't going to just come out and openly attack. He was given... Israel, or he was given Judah a chance, he was given Hezekiah a chance to surrender without a fight. Hmm. Oh, wouldn't that have been nice? I wonder how often that happens when we look at the report, when we look at, hmm, when we look at the impossible situation when it arises in our lives. And we feel so hopeless so quick. Don't give in to it. Don't believe it. God's got a better report. God is greater. Greater is he that is in thee than he that is in the world. God is greater. It doesn't even matter what the report is. God is greater than that report. It doesn't matter what you're staring down. God is greater than what you're staring down. It doesn't matter what the voices are speaking into your life, and it doesn't matter what you're being labeled with. God has a new name for you. God has a, a new end for you. It's a, it's a good end. He knows the thoughts he has for you. They're thoughts for increase. They're thoughts for healing. They're, they're thoughts for hmm, virtue. Whose report are you going to believe? I know that's Joshua, but still, huh. They're here, they're blaspheming for the king of Assyria. They're saying it intentionally so all the men of valor that are left in Judah can openly hear the taunts. But Hezekiah had prepared them and told them to say nothing. So the response... We're going to back up here and just see a response in chapter 3. And if we flip back to 2 Kings, we'd see it there also. Hezekiah's response was right here. He planned with his officers and his mighty men, number one, to stop the water of the springs that were where? Outside of the city. That was the first thing. And they helped him. A great many people were gathered and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land saying, the reason why? Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? Then he set to work resolutely and 
The next thing they did, they built up the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it. And outside it, he built another wall and he strengthened the Milo in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance. And he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city. And the last thing he did, he spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there is more with us than with him. And there was not by the natural eye. By the natural eye, they were greatly outnumbered. But we're not going to live by what we see. We're not going to live by what we feel. There are more for you than those that are against you. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? Hmm. You know, it's said, and I'll get there in a minute too. It's said in the commentaries that Hezekiah was a man that knew his past and that prepared for the present. It's actually said that he didn't prepare well at all for the future. And I, I would say in this statement, you can, you can hear the prophet Elisha in it. Oh, no, you see an army out there, but look a little bit closer. You'll see the army of God surrounding that army. And, and you can kind of feel it right here in his statement when he says, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. So there we have it. Another little, God is for us. God's going to fight the battle for you. However, we do see preparation, and Hezekiah prepared a great many things. What did he prepare? He stopped the water. He repaired the walls. He raised the towers on the wall. Outside of the walls, he built another wall. He strengthened the Milo, made weapons and shields, set commanders, and spoke words of encouragement. Ah. But all of this, Hezekiah knew, all of this was for show. All of this Repairing the walls. It, 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 it wasn't about the walls. It, it was to keep something hidden. Raising the towers. It, 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 was, it wasn't about the towers. It was about what was inside the walls. Building another wall. Well, it sounds like a good defensive move, move but Hezekiah knew it wasn't about a second wall. Strengthening the Milo? Hmm. You have to figure out what that one's all about. But it wasn't about the Milo, it was about what was inside the wall. Making weapons and shields. It looked good for the warriors and the men of valor, but the weapons and the shields had nothing to do with where the victory was going to come from. Setting the commanders and speaking words of encouragement, incredibly valuable, but that's not what it was about. Let's go back and just ponder this for a second. The first thing he did, Hezekiah's first huh, idea, was to stop the water. We know about water. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Hezekiah knows that without water, you're going to last somewhere in the vicinity of three days. His city is about to become under siege. And so rather than there being plenty of water for the king of Assyria to come and make camp and to have plenty of water to sustain them, they closed them off. They, they shut down the springs. They covered them up to the point where there was no running water. But we know on a spiritual level that we've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. We know on a spiritual level the importance of that water flowing, right? 
Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. Hmm. What was it all about? I want to point one other thing out before we, before we get there. If we turn back to 2 Kings, it's referred to in 2 Chronicles. Isaiah is mentioned. Isaiah, it, it, it almost sounds like Isaiah and Hezekiah are praying together. But if we go back to 2 Kings, we see that that's not the case. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, heard of the impending invasion, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And I just got to point out, he knew the right place to go. It was a good thing that he had opened up the doors of the temple, that he had prepared a place to go in a time of trouble. And I'll remind you what his ancestors didn't do when they would not go into the, they didn't see the necessity of going into the house of the Lord. Hezekiah sees the extreme value in being able to go into the house of the Lord. Hmm. Went into the house of the Lord. And then he sent his dignitaries to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. It's in verse 6 that Isaiah sends message back to him. Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, they're not together, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, he's speaking as if a, a, a mouthpiece for God. Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. Behold, I will... Put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword of his own land. So, right in the middle of all the preparation they were making, somewhere in the middle of this, before the attack ever even comes, Isaiah finds him, or Isaiah, Hezekiah finds himself in the refuge, in the sanctuary of the temple. And the other thing that his ancestor didn't do, oh, he prospered when he sought the Lord. Isaiah, Hezekiah knows what to do. Not only do, does he value the temple, but he seeks the word of the Lord through the man of God. So we see more patterns that are oh, epic, epically important. We can't put enough stress on this temple, on this sanctuary, what happens here? This place of refuge, this place of safety, this place of healing, this place of deliverance, this place where there is water flowing and where there's the Spirit of God moving. We can't put enough emphasis on the preached Word of God and the man of God. Amen. God chose the foolishness of preaching. We need to have a, a man of God in our life. Thank God for a good pastor. We need to have and value those words of the man of God in our lives. Hezekiah did. Amen. So what's it all about? I would say it's all about wartime water. Wartime water. I'll read to you the the footnotes. Hezekiah, the past is an important part of today's actions and tomorrow's plans. The people and kings of Judah had a rich past filled with God's action, guidance, and commands. But with each passing generation, they also had a growing list of tragedies that occurred when the people forgot their... Uh, that their God, who had cared for them in the past, also cared about the present and the future and demanded, demanded their continued obedience. 
Hezekiah was one of the few kings of Judah who was constantly aware of God's actions in the past and his interest in the events of every day. The Bible describes him as a king who had visual reminders of the people's lack of trust in God. Or, I'm sorry, a king who had a close relationship with God. As a reformer, Hezekiah was most concerned with uh, present obedience. Huh. Or, 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 so, so, or so the footnotes say. Judah was filled with visual reminders of the people's lack of trust in God. And Hezekiah boldly uh, cleaned house, altars, idols, and pagan temples were destroyed. Even the bronze serpent Moses had made in the wilderness was not spared by Hezekiah because it had ceased to point the people to God and had itself become an idol. The temple in Jerusalem, whose doors had been nailed shut by Hezekiah's own father, was cleaned out and reopened. The Passover was reinstituted as a national holiday, and there was revival in Judah. Although he had a natural inclination to respond to present problems, Hezekiah's life shows little evidence of concern about the future. He took few actions to preserve the effects of his sweeping reforms. His successful efforts made him proud. Well, I'm going to stop right there. That's what that study Bible said. And it got me to thinking, is that really the case? There was something that Hezekiah learned from his grandfather. There was something that he learned from his great-grandfather. And then, here you have it. If we look in Second Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 30. And I'll wait for you to get there. This same Hezekiah closed the upper or the upper outlets of the water of Gihon and directed them down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. It's mentioned again in 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 20. The rest of the deeds at the end of Hezekiah's life, the rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of Chronicles? If you read through the story, if you read through the whole thing, overlay both, both uh, uh, books, what you see is when the dignitaries come from the king of Assyria, they actually park themselves right on top of the conduit. They don't even know it's there. They don't even see it's there. You can look, in, you can look it up. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. It went from the uh, Gihon Spring, 1,750 feet through bedrock, sheer bedrock, to bring war time water into the city. One of the things I, uh, Hezekiah did, when he stopped the wells outside of the city, he knew they needed water flowing inside of the city. And so they started to dig a tunnel. Maybe, just maybe, he realized it was nothing more than buying himself a little bit of time. It may have been that he wasn't just buying off the adversary. He might have just been buying himself some time because he set men to work and they started to dig both ways. From outside by the spring, men started to dig through sheer bedrock, 1,700 feet and on the inside of the walls, another group of men start to dig. And they start to dig, and they continue to dig and chisel day after day after day. Can I tell you something? When we're here praying in this house of prayer, we are doing something. Even when we don't feel like it, it may be a struggle. Oh. It may be a struggle at times when we feel like all hell is breaking loose and nothing's going right. 
We don't know what went wrong because it seemed like we were doing everything right. But the next thing we know, it's a struggle just to survive. It's a struggle to show up for prayer. But can I tell you something? There's nothing more important than keeping the water flowing. And Hezekiah absolutely knew if there was going to be life, there needed to be water. And so they kept digging and they kept digging. And they tunneled 1,750 feet through bedrock. And it's even more insane than that. Somehow, it wasn't a straight line. Somehow they met right in the middle. And they were barely even off at all as the two tunnels meet. How does this happen? It's a God thing. It's a, I was thinking about it when I first started looking into this. When I first started hearing about it, I'm, I'm starting to imagine in my mind, well, okay, the string never lies, right? <laughs> or maybe they had the eye of loot or whatever that's all about. The string never lies. So maybe if they got down there and they just started laying out a string, you could keep that thing going straight. But it wasn't straight. You can still crawl through there today. And it's not a straight tunnel. And yet so deep, somehow, they still met up right in the middle. Why? Because when God's in it, when God's in it, there's going to be some things that are unexplainable. And when God steps into your situation suddenly, when God moves suddenly, it's going to be unexplainable, and it's going to be magnificent. It's what he does. Sometimes I'm convinced God does things just to show off, only because he can. But it's the way God moves, magnificently. And it was all about keeping the wartime water flowing. Can I just tell you something? No matter what we come up against, no matter how impossible it may seem, and if it's not right now, it will be tomorrow. It's just the way it works. We're not digging for us. I don't buy it for a second. Hezekiah was providing running water to a city that would last. It, how many thousands of years later, it's still there. If they ever need to tap back into that water, they can fill that thing right back up. Running water. Oh, we got to keep digging. Because we're going to be handing this heritage off to the next generation. I, I would say with the commentaries and the scholars, you know what? I think Hezekiah was absolutely thinking about the future as much as he was thinking about the present and as much as he knew about the past. And he knew if we can just keep the spirit moving, if we can just keep digging deep and keep the spirit moving, if we can keep it alive, it's going to be worth the drive. If we can just keep the presence of God, no matter how much we got to fight for it, no matter how much we got to war for it, no matter how much it becomes uncomfortable at times, oh, it's wartime water. It's water that will sustain. In Jesus' name, let's stand. Wartime water. It's the Holy Ghost for you and I. We got to keep it alive. I do so much appreciate. Oh, I appreciate the movement of the Spirit. I appreciate the tongues and the interpretation on a Wednesday night. Why? Because we got to keep that water. We got to keep that wartime water. We got to keep digging, we got to keep it flowing. The grade was, you go ahead and look it up, the grade, the, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a marvel of engineering. The grade was absolutely just perfect so that the water wasn't rushing and the water wasn't still. Oh, how does that happen? Because it's a God thing. This is a God thing. Huh. Keeping the water moving. Wartime water is a God thing. Amen. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And then the Lord delivered. 
It wasn't because of the towers, although they needed to build towers. It wasn't because of walls, although they needed to build walls. I, I believe that the weapons, the shields, the towers, the walls, all of it, the mighty men of valor, it was all to protect the wartime water. You know why? <laughs> Hezekiah had it. The king of Assyria didn't. You realize he never even showed up. The king of Assyria never even showed up. Why? Because there wasn't any water for him. But Hezekiah and the people of Judah had everything they needed. Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet and the son of Amos prayed because, and they prayed because this, because of this, and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel to cut off all the mighty warriors. Huh. Not one sword, not one shield, not one arrow ever launched from a tower, not one wall ever even defended. But because of wartime water, because of the Holy Ghost, because of the presence of God active in our lives, the Lord sent an angel to cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers of the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, lowercase g, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah. So the Lord is saving you. So the Lord is going to save you from your situation. So the Lord is going to deliver you from your situation. These are words of faith. Just reciting them from this book of faith. Isaiah spoke the exact same thing to Hezekiah. This is what is going to happen. God is going to step in and God is going to deliver you. Just keep digging and keep the water flowing. Keep your relationship with God alive. And, and dare I say, oh. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit here. Pray in the Spirit at home when you're doing dishes in the shower while you're working on your car. This ought not to be a strange thing for us. This is keeping the waters flowing. Oh, Jesus. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, from the hand of all his enemies, and he provided for them on every side. Oh. Wartime water. It's what we're doing here. It's what we're keeping alive. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your trust in all of us, God, for having us right here, right now, in this season. Yes, for such a time as this. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.